Welcome to Silicon Flatiron's crash course and the kickoff of the Cross Campus New Venture Challenge. My name is Brad Bernthal. I, yeah, hey, New Venture Challenge. Yeah. Wait a minute, I, I thought this was a new tech meetup. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Robert Rich, and uh, my, my name is Brad Bernthal. I'm the director of the Entrepreneurship Initiative here at the Silicon Flatiron Center. And um, I want to get right to Jason's presentation. Before doing that quickly, I want to introduce Lindsay Bruss, who is the project manager for the New Venture Challenge. And it's all the, yeah, round of applause that. All the students who are participating in the New Venture Challenge on the executive committee, could you please stand up and remain standing for a moment? There's always a moment of pause here. Um, let me tell you what it's like to work with these students, and this is a representation of others who, who couldn't be here tonight. Uh, you know that part of a committee meeting in which someone has a great idea, and then you say, okay, who's going to do it? And everyone looks around at each other and you know, kind of does this one. Hands actually go up with this executive committee. These, these people do things. You want to get them in your committees and you want to work with them. So many thank yous. A round of applause for the students for putting this together. Here's what we're going to do now. The first hour, Jason's going to take it. He's going to talk about building a company. And then the second hour, upstairs in the cafe, we've got nine local companies who are interested in finding interns. And we'll also do a networking event around that. We have a star-studded cast of mentors who are here tonight. If you're a mentor, please introduce yourself for students. If you're a student and someone looks smart, ask them if they're a mentor and get the benefit of their experience. That's what we're going to do tonight. Jason Mendelson holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in economics with distinction from the University of Michigan. He has a JD, that would be a Juris Doctorate, cum laude from the University of Michigan. He is a, he is proud of his Juris Doctorate, I'm sure, despite uh, any jokes that he makes following. He is an adjunct professor here at the University of Colorado. We've co-taught a course on venture capital together, which has been wildly well received by students. It was frustrating for me as a co-professor because I would read the exams and students would be quoting Jason and not me, which tells you his uh, effectiveness in communication. He has a remarkable range in his background. Being a venture capitalist is really act four of Jason's life, or his professional career at least. Act one, he was a drummer. Act two, a coder. He worked as a software engineer and consultant with Accenture. Act three, he was a deal attorney with Cooley Godward. And now as act four, he is managing director and general counsel for the Foundry Group. Before that, he was with Mobius Venture Capital. He serves on the board of directors of Brightleaf, Next Big Sound, Oblong, Organic Motion, and Pi Digital. And at this point, has over a decade of experience in the venture capital and technology industry. He was chosen as one of Denver's 40 Under 40 in business in 2009. He blogs about his experiences in the VC industry on Mendelssohn's Musings, which, this is unbelievable. The American Bar Association? named it one of the top 100 law blogs, which is not unbelievable because of the quality, it's because of the content. Jason is not exactly complimentary to the legal profession on a regular basis, and his challenging the legal model going forward has obviously been well received and respected, and so I commend that to your attention, and also he blogs with his partner, Brad Feld, at askthevc.com. Um, he is extremely passionate and committed to building community here. He chairs the Entrepreneurial Advisory Committee of the Silicon Flatiron Center, for which I am very grateful. Um, my friend, Jason Mendelson. Thanks for being here, Jason. I, I always love your intros. You set me up that I'm like, there's no way I could, I could make uh, myself as valuable as your intro, so thanks. Uh, it's uh, humbling to see all the people that are here tonight. Uh, thanks for coming. Uh, many of you out there know more about all the stuff I'm going to talk about tonight than me, so you're either here to heckle or you're here to answer the questions that people ask later that I won't be able to answer, so I thank you. Um, there are also some of our companies out here tonight, and that scares the shit out of me because you should know how to run a business, and if I teach you anything tonight, I'm wondering if did I just blow a couple of million dollars. So, yes. <laughs> so, thanks, Alex, for coming. Uh, so we're going to talk about how to start and build a company, or as Matt Galligan would say, what the hell do you know about any of this Mendelssohn? You're just a stupid venture capitalist. <laughs> all right, so here's what we're going to do tonight. Um, this is going to be an all-purpose summary about how to start and build a company. There are, this is step one in a lecture series that's happening here at Silicon Flatirons. And everything I'm spo uh, speaking about tonight will be go gone into greater depth by smarter people in the coming uh, uh, weeks and, and months. Please uh, check the TV listing near you, i.e. the Silicon Flatirons website. But here in uh, broad strokes, what we're going to talk about, how to come up with the right idea for your, for your uh, company, how to build a team, 
set it up, get finance, grow, operate, common mistakes you may, uh, might make, and I am begging you please to interrupt me, otherwise I will be boring. So seriously, uh, if you're going to start a company, first rule is you can't be shy. You're going to be selling to potential partners, to potential mentors, board members, venture capitalists. You're going to sell, 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 sell. If you're shy, give up now. So I expect to see some questions along the way. Now, actually, building a company and being successful is extremely easy. That's the one thing that most people don't know. People think it's hard. They read all these things. They read blogs. It's really this simple. <laughs> That's all you have to do. Thank you very much for coming. Now let's go get started. <laughs> actually, I had lunch today with an entrepreneur who said something. He, 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 he's reached a level of success, and his company's doing well, and I congratulated him on it. And he said... He looked down and said, it has been so much harder and taken so much longer than I ever thought. I said, but are you happy? And he's like, yeah, couldn't be better. So it is actually a pretty hard thing to do. So the first thing that you should do if you're going to build a company is you better have a good sense of humor because it's never going to go as you plan. All right. How the hell do you pick what you're going to do? First thing I'd say is pick something you are massively, massively passionate about because it is tough to build a company. And if you're not in absolute love with your, with your idea, it's going to suck. I haven't been married, but for those of my friends who have and tell me that they're not absolutely in love, their marriage sucks. So let's think of it the same way. I know, it's not now reason to leave the room. I got it. I, got it. <laughs> I always say if you're not scratching your own itch, you also probably have a bad idea. If it's not something that's making your life better, then you're probably not, you probably don't have a good idea. On the other hand, make sure you're not the only itch that's being scratched. There's plenty of people who think that they, you know, for instance, I, when, I, when I taught the class with Brad, one of the uh, classic stupid business plans I used to talk about was Pet Airlines, which, by the way, got funded and actually launched. So maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. But I just couldn't figure out, you know, given if you, you haven't heard airlines are a tough business in the United States, people want to fly their pets in separate airlines, whatever. But make sure that if you are scratching your own itch, make sure your market. Um, I know full well as a venture capitalist that I don't represent the mass market of, of consumers. Just because I like something doesn't mean it's any good. Now, here's where most people, so most people, okay, most people get this, super passionate about it, got something that I think a lot of people will like, where most people fall down immediately, the first thing they do is on a competition. I hear all this time, we're different. Uh, I'll give you an example. I got a business plan the other day. They want to be a search engine for TV and uh, blog content and movie content on the web. And I go, well, have you heard of uh, Clickster? Have you heard of uh, have you heard of, and they go, no, no, we're different. We do this, 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 and this. Are you really different? First of all, competitors that you may have that might not be doing that today, how do you know they're not going to do that tomorrow? And by the way, if they're well-funded and you're not, they probably are going to do that tomorrow. If you have such a good idea, what you'll do is you'll go out and make a bunch of noise. You'll say, hey, this competitor is stupid. They're doing it the wrong way. We're doing it the right way. They're well-funded. You've got no money. And guess what they decide to do tomorrow? They decide to do what you're doing, and boom, you're gone. I think that the one thing that most entrepreneurs don't do a good job is really considering competition. Uh, here's another example, Facebook. I see a ton of entrepreneurs saying, okay, Facebook's great, it's generic, it works well if you want to be a jack-of-all-trades master of none, but I'm going to go after a specific segment. The one that I see every week is musicians. I'm going to do a music network, a music social network. It's a great idea. Why don't we set up a social network for people who have no money and are cheapskates? Perfect. Awesome. People who live with their mothers their entire lives and are drummers like me. Um, but on the other hand, perhaps it makes sense to do a social network that's targeted to a really good group. How about soccer moms or mothers? Um, some of these things have been popular. Keep in mind that, let's, let's take the example of soccer moms and Facebook. Yes, maybe it's doing, doing uh, something for soccer moms is a great idea. They have a lot of money. They're really interested. They're really passionate. Facebook doesn't quite do it. You're going to do something special. Maybe you'll do some scheduling thing or whatever the hell you're going to do. Remember that people only have a certain amount of hours in their lives. Your competition might not just be Facebook. It might be internet time. It might be time on the computer. These people, you know, just because the soccer mom likes your network the best doesn't mean they're willing to give up Facebook. And it doesn't mean they're willing to give up time they do email. It doesn't mean they're willing to give up time that they're surfing the net for news. Your competition might just be time. And most people don't think about that. Think about, is, is your idea so compelling that it's not that they're going to spend more time on the computer? Because we can't guarantee that. You've got to be so convinced that they're going to substitute time they're doing other activities for what you want them to do. It's a really important, important concept. 
The other thing about the idea is can you make money from it? And if any of you raise your hand and say, I got this great idea, I'm gonna make it on advertising, I'm gonna go home. I'm tired of hearing that. Advertising can be a component, but the only way you're really gonna make advertising is if you've got a million people going to your site, and starting off day one with a million people going to your site is fairly difficult. Also, talk to your friends, talk to your neighbors, talk to your babysitter, talk to whoever you want to talk to. Not your babysitter, you know, you may have a babysitter, but I don't. Um, ask them what they think uh, of, of the idea. Now remember, people are normally going to tell you good things. Nobody likes to hurt people's feelings, right? So if somebody comes and says, I've got this great idea and I'm really passionate, are you really going to look at me and go, dude, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard? Or are you going to give me the, yeah, yeah, that's cool, right? It's not my time I'm wasting. Have fun, Jason. Spend all your time and money that you want. Um, one of the things that our companies, after they fund it, I always tell them is, They'll go to some big company, call it IBM, and they'll say, we've got this great thing we want to do. What do you think? Will you be a customer? Well, IBM's always going to say, sure, go ahead. Why? Because it's not their time and money being wasted. And who knows? Maybe you do something cool. But make sure that you're getting real feedback, that you're self-aware, and that the nods are nods of, yeah, I'm in, as opposed to, huh, yeah, all right, when do I get out of this conversation? Um, also, make sure for you engineers out there that you're not looking for a technology in search of a problem. A lot of times, uh, People will choose an idea that's awesome technology. It does something super cool that nobody understands and nobody needs. I really don't care that my, my fridge can text message me and tell me it's out of milk. I don't. Maybe you guys do. Anyway, after choosing the idea, it's time to go build a team. And building a team is actually the most important idea you can do because even if you sort of screw up on the idea, if you've got a great team, you'll usually be okay. Even if you've invented cold fusion you pick the wrong team, you're hosed. And that I can prove over 10 years of seeing how these companies work. If great teams usually do pretty well, poor teams always lose, and that's irrespective of how good their ideas are. Great team, great idea, that's when you come up with something special. So a lot of people will say, well, Jason, I can't find a partner. Like, I would love to find something to work with, and I can't. And something's wrong with Boulder, or something's wrong with, you know, it's, it's not me. Well, actually, it's, it's the opposite. Of, you know, it's not the old, hey, it's not you, it's me, I want to break up story. No, it's really you. If you can't find a partner, there's one of two things wrong. Your idea sucks or you suck. And unfortunately, a lot of times you suck. And people just don't want to tell you you suck. It's easy, you know, and in fact, I'll say as a venture capitalist, the hardest thing I do is when somebody actually presents a really compelling idea and they suck, it's how do I tell them that they suck? And that's one of the things I really, really dislike, and I tend to sugarcoat it and be like, yeah, yeah, not in my head. Um, find mentors and advisors. If there's any town that I've ever lived in, um, which would be, include Detroit, Dallas, Charlotte, yes, I said Detroit, Dar uh, Dallas, Charlotte, and San Francisco in here, this is Mentor Town, USA. Um, this is the nicest town, easiest town to grab a cup of coffee with. You can email me, jason at foundrygroup.com. I'll call, I'll take your call or your email or whatever the hell you want. This is the easiest town in the world to find good mentors and advisors. Find them. I see people shaking their heads. Right, Matt? You disagree? No, I was shaking my head to agree. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, pretty much everybody, everybody but David Cohen is really accessible and available here. <laughs> um, and, 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 and are willing to help you out. And engage these mentors. You know, keep us engaged. If you have an interesting idea and you're cool to work with, we'll keep engaged. And most of us... Most of us aren't looking for anything in return. It's just the right thing to do. But that goes to bullet point number three, don't get taken advantage of. There are people in this town and outside this town, and especially in Illinois, who are really happy to take advantage of young entrepreneurs. When are you shaking your head? You weren't the one who was abused. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, there, are, there are people out there that will try to say, okay, you know, I'll help you out, but give me some equity, or I'll help you out, or pay me. If anybody says they want to get paid for helping you out around this town, move on to the next mentor, because there's plenty of us out there. Uh, be very self-aware. I say it's more attractive than confidence. You need to be uh, self-confident, but being self-aware and being trainable is one of the most sexy things for a mentor to see. Right? If, if you engage somebody who's been doing this for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, we want to have a conversation. We're happy to teach you. We're happy to learn from you, because hopefully it's a, it's a, it's a mutual relationship. But if you have all the answers and know everything and are super confident and are always right and don't listen, you will quickly burn out your mentor list very, very quickly. And one of the things to do is learn to keep people engaged. And that, you can do it a number of ways. Maybe it's a, it's a weekly email that's not too long. Maybe it's, you know, keeping up with uh, people socially. It's, it's coming up with new ideas. 
it's taking their, every time you get feedback from them, it's closing the loop. And every time somebody gives you a piece of advice, come around and say, you know what, this is a great piece of advice. We followed it and did this. Or upon further reflection, we really appreciate your advice, but it sucked and we did this instead. And here's why. You don't always have to agree with your mentors. Just show that you're at least listening. Keep them engaged. Just yeah. Before you leave that, can you just talk a little bit more why the partner? Uh, you know, with a strong mentor network and you know being involved, why, why is the partner important? I think a partner is super important for. You know, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, just for you running your own business to really have something you can bounce ideas off. And nobody in this room, at least that I've met, can do 100% of it. We all have the things we're better than, better at, we're weaker at some things. Find a partner who helps balance you and use them as a sounding board. Because, you know, you remember when we were in high school and you used to write the five paragraph thesis essays and you thought it was all good and you turned it into your professor or your teacher, whatever they call them in, in, in high school, and they, you, you were sure you rocked it. And then you get this big, what the hell is this, this logical gap. You know, as you, you, you read the paper a billion times and had eight things that you were thinking of, and you filled in the gaps, but they never made it down in the paper. And then somebody new, cold eye, looked at it and said, this sucks. That's what happens when you run a business if you don't have a partner. You've got to have somebody who's going to keep you honest, have a different you know, mindset um, than, than you. And that's the only way I think you can be successful. If you decide to raise money, and we'll talk about that later, it is a massive red flag to anybody who wants to fund a company if you don't have a partner. If you, if you, you know, what does that mean? Are you hard to work with? Are you a psycho? Um, you know, what's going on? I, and, and in case you're wondering how I found partners is I paid them off, because I am a psycho. This is the uh, 15 second uh, legal teaching of the day. If you want more information, ask that final gentleman uh, standing up in the dark sweater and khakis and glasses who's smirking and pissed off at me right now. He knows everything. I think I saw a couple other lawyers walk in. They know some things, too. Um, kidding. Um, first of all, one of the things that you should think about is do you want to incorporate, uh, do you want, you know, you, you, not LegalZoom.com. This isn't an AM radio commercial. But do you want to get some structure in place? There are huge advantages to getting structures in place as soon as you start bringing other people in, and whether they're partners or they're worker bees or what, what have you. Um, you can get a lot of protection if something should go wrong. You can have them sign agreements that make sure everything they create for you belongs to the company, not them, which leads to bullet point number two, which is the thing that tons of people screw up is not getting your intellectual property in order. Two of you decide after this, uh, this wonderful lecture, you're so inspired, you're going to go out and start a new, uh, uh, new company that sells kitty litter over the internet. And, or maybe something better, but that's what I came up with, kitty litter over the internet, and you start coding tonight, and you keep going, going, and then you call your friend in Chicago, and they're, in, uh, they're at Northwestern right now, and they're coding for one of their classes and get a special exemption for credit, and then you hire Tom Keller, who's working at Procter & Gamble, what's the, what's, I don't know, I don't know what, cat litter, because Arm & Hammer, so he's working in the Arm & Hammer cat litter division, he says, oh, I know some of that, and he starts coding, and you start grabbing all these things together, and then you're done. What's wrong with that? A lot of people have claimed the IP. A lot of people have claimed the IP, right? Who's got claimed the IP in, in, in my, my, my uh, quick example? Every corporation. A corporation, possibly a school, yep. and multiple individuals. There you go. Happens all the time. Especially when you're starting a business, you are by definition cheap. You don't want to get this thing tied up. You start using interns at places. Just make sure, you know, it's nothing wrong. I'm not saying don't hire interns. Definitely hire interns. But make sure that if they're getting credit for it, the school doesn't know what they're creating. Make sure if you're creating some intellectual property or hire somebody who's doing some intellectual property work for you at a company that they're not at a company doing something similar to what they're doing, otherwise the company may own. And you wouldn't believe how often this gets screwed up. Very easy to deal. You can spend a couple hundred bucks with a real lawyer. They can give you a piece of paper that you can have everybody sign, and boom, all, all, all this mystery goes away. Watch out for employment situations. You hire somebody. Um, and by hire, I mean you meet them over for coffee at the cup and you shake hands and say, help me with something, and that's about all you do. They start coding for you. You even are smart. You can get the intellectual property situation. You have them sign something that says, everything I make belongs to the company. You're like, cool. I listen to Mendelssohn. I'm totally set. And then you find out they're a complete loser, and you say, hey, loser, get the hell out of my company. And the loser says, great. And by the way, I seem to remember some conversation where you said I'd get $100,000 next year and 25% of the equity of the company. And you go, I never said that, loser. And the loser said, yeah, you did. And guess what? Now you're bullet point number four. Now you're an oral promise. 
yes, you're going to have an oral contract. And as he said, she said, and they go and they hire an employment lawyer, and now you have no money and you're already fighting your first lawsuit because you didn't cross your T's and dot your I's. Even if it's on the back of a napkin, write down what the employment terms are. You are month to month. You are at will. I'm going to pay you X. You get none of the company. What you make for me, or what you're making is for this company. Have a nice day. Signed, Jack. Unless your name's John, then sign John. Okay? You get what you pay for in lawyers, but there's awesome ones here in Boulder who won't rip you off like Silicon Valley. Um, in fact, now I look around, I'm seeing several of them around. Um, you can raise your hand if you like, or you can not. I don't care. But the, Boulder's the home of the small law firm with super awesome lawyers. Um, and then you also have some free uh, resources like Boulder New Tech Meetup, Boulder Home Coffee Club, Entrepreneur Law Clinic, Crash Courses, Bunker, blah, blah, blah. To quote the old Saturday morning cartoons, knowledge is power. Anyway, I'm done. Yes? Just say you want to organize, you know, minimum organization, get a few pieces of paper in place. What, what's a range of what you might spend people? I don't know. Stack, what, what, is, what does she pay? A few grand. A few grand? And he's, he overcharges, he overbills everybody, so <laughs> discount, that. D discount that by half and you're totally sad. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, I wouldn't have asked him if I didn't care. All right, now everybody's wondering, well, okay, I've set up the business, I got this great idea, I got the smoking team, everything's great now. Um, unfortunately, my food stamps don't support my company. How the hell do I get money? Now, first of all, I wouldn't assume that you need financing. There's a lot of companies, including in this room, who've gotten a hell of a far away without having to raise any money. So first of all, don't assume you're gonna raise money. Just assume you're gonna do everything right, create something of value. And if you really do, as, as crazy as it sounds, I truly believe the money will follow. Even here in little old Boulder, um, the, are the good companies here seem to have, you know, it's always a bitch to raise money, but it's not impossible it can be done. Um, and it can be done by getting money from outside of Boulder, as several of you will attest to. So the first question is to ask, do you need financing? The earlier you take money, the more greedy assholes like me are going to take of your company. Don't forget that. The cost of getting money from me is exponentially higher the earlier you are in your development. Because I've got a lot more risk I'm dealing with because you're very, very early on in the process. And so I'm going to act more like a loan shark than, than an equity investor. That's that. Sorry, I hate to tell you. Angel investors versus VCs. One of the things to consider is do you want to talk to some guy like me who stands up here and pretends like he knows it all and can't stop talking and thinking about himself? Maybe you should go get somebody who actually knows what they're doing called an angel investor, which could be your mom, your dad, your brother, or any of the mentors sitting here in the room. They'll probably cut you a better deal for the money. They'll probably stay out of your hair more than a guy like me who's going to want to have monthly board meetings at least. Um, on the other hand, they may or may not be as sophisticated investors and may not be able to help you through the hard times. Um, I might not have started 15 companies, but I've seen 400 of them go under. So by negative inference, I know a lot of different ways you can fail, and maybe I can, uh, you know, VCs can help you because we've been around the block. But angels are great, and they will cut you a better deal normally. Other thing to keep in mind if you're starting a company is do you need a business plan? What the hell is a business plan versus an executive summary? Real short, an executive summary is a summary. It's a short document, three to five pages. A business plan can be 70 or 80 pages. I think your executive summary is critical, massively, massively important. That is your paper elevator pitch. And when you're trying to network, or you're trying to find mentors, or you're trying to find money, or you're trying to do anything, most people, the first thing they're gonna ask you for is an executive summary. So you better have a great paragraph that entices me, tells me what you're doing. You better hit me hard on what the problem is and how you're solving it why the market's big, why you, how you're going to make some money, why the team's compelling, and, and here's some thoughts on the future from us. It's, it's not rocket science, but there's, you can't spend too much time on your executive summary. The business plan, on the other hand, most professional investors, yeah, Chris? I was just wondering from the standpoint of VCs, with money just starting to flow back into the market due to the, the recession, with IT, at what stage are you know, companies likely getting funded now? Is it, you know, pre-revenue, post-revenue? I mean, what do you, what, what's most likely to get funded? So the question is, can anybody hear that or do I need to restate it? Yeah. Got it? All right. So I'd argue that early stage stuff, you know, the, the, the guy, the girl, and the business plan, and the dog never stopped. It was the firms that do those types of deals. There's no better time to invest in those companies than when the market is bad. So... There's, that hasn't changed. What's starting to open up is that companies are trying to get their third, fourth, fifth rounds of financing. That's starting to loosen up a bit. Still have a long way to go. 
But the early stage stuff, as far as capital that's going to be used for people sitting here trying to start a business, I don't think it was that bad in the recession. I think it's still fine now. Is Foundry a group that invests in early stage with the dog? Yeah. Yeah, we'll invest in a $250,000 check into a dude in a PowerPoint slide and wants to sit in our office and, and create his company. In fact, we have a dude in a PowerPoint slide. And hopefully, now that he's been there a month, he has more than a PowerPoint slide. But I really haven't checked, but thanks. You know, I should actually be going. Uh, I, got, I got somewhere to go. Um, yeah, no, there's, there's, no, there's nothing too early. There's no, there's no check too small. I mean, we'll write a $200,000 check or a $10 million check, but not over $10 million, so don't ask me for more than that. Um, the business plan, to me, the most important thing in a business plan, every company should have a business plan, but it should be for yourself. That is your document. That is your big vision document. I actually read part of a business plan yesterday. I won't embarrass the company. They're here, a white paper of like their big, hairy, audacious goals for the next four years. It was awesome, right? They've clearly thought. They've gone around. They've bought, bought in from each other, and they were working really hard. They did this for them, not for their customers, not for me, not for anybody. And I really like that, and that's what a business plan is for. That should be your internal goal. If you're starting a business, you better damn well know what your mission statement is, how you're gonna make money, who your customers are, what your products are, what's your competitive advantage. And again, even if you show nobody, make sure you have that for yourself. All right, growing and operating a business. And again, like I said, everything I'm going through today goes into more depth later, so that's why we're cruising through things. I wanna leave some time for questions. But constantly check your assumptions. Is your idea still compelling? Make sure what you were building will scale. Um, there are several people in this room who thought they could scale and then they had a whole bunch of PR and got tech crunched and got some notoriety on the web and suddenly everything went. Make sure you know how to scale your business. And by the way, um, you know, for those of you who aren't doing tech and are doing you know, human, bus human businesses with, with low tech and are doing customer service or other things, how are you gonna scale, right? If you got a, a partner, if there's two of you starting a business, are, is one of you ever going to be able to take vacation? The answer may be no, and that's fine if you never want to take vacation, but how do you scale, how do you support when, when, you want, when you're in that situation? Be incredibly insane about the customer experience. You get one shot with most customers. You definitely only get one shot with the press. You definitely only get one shot with big corporate customers. You get one shot per VC. Make sure that you, you don't go too early and be maniacal about their experience. Don't be afraid to get help. Um, nobody knows everything. Uh, the, the people who I've invested in who ask me for regular help, I, I feel a, it's, it's interesting. I feel not only a general sense of trust because they're coming and asking me questions and respect because they're self-aware of what they need help with, but when things go bad, I feel like more of a partner or an executive with them than just the funding guy. And so usually people who are, you know, invest in you and mentors that you've engaged, the better you keep them engaged and get help when you need it, the more sense of ownership they're going to have in personal feelings if, if things go wrong. I, 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 I'm going to now take 30 seconds out to do an advertisement for one of our companies. I know you, you don't get to come here for free. I say find smart tech guys and work in the cloud. This is a pogo plug. Anybody know what a pogo plug is? All right, since the word's getting out a little bit. So 10 years ago when I started as a venture capitalist, it was a million dollars minimum for, for anybody here to start a company on the internet. You go buy servers, you had hosted, you do a ton of shit. Now you call up Amazon, or you don't even call them up, you just go online, you pay them about 20 bucks and they can host something. Or perhaps you're even cheaper than that. This is Pogo Plug, basically it's a little box, costs 100 bucks, there's no monthly fee. You can plug any external hard drive into it, and from that to the back of your router. On your entire network, whether it's home or office, you will see this hard drive as a separate hard drive. You can drag stuff and dr drop it over just like a normal hard drive, but then you can access it from anywhere on the internet, set permissions to share things with people all over the internet. You could start your entire business on the damn thing and host your own site and use this as your entire backbone for $100 and the price of the internet. Uh, speaking of which, yesterday I upgraded Comcast Extreme. I've got 50 megabits down and 15 megabits up, $100 a month. $100 pogo plug, boom, you got a business started. And I'm actually giving this away, told by random to the two ladies sitting back there, there and who just started a business, uh, an interior design business recently, and I think they actually need this. So you can come grab your parting gift after this. Thank you for coming. Um, but anyway, pogoplug.com. Next, always ask yourself how the hell you're going to make money because it changed. Yep, no, you can't have a pogo plug. <laughs> I just wanted to know if you could talk a little bit more about the comment about being insane about your customer experience, and then 
you threw me when you said you only get one shot with VCs. Yeah. Because I'm thinking about how like Guy Kawasaki talks about like the idea of build, sell, sell, sell. Yeah. So how do you balance out wanting to do the best you can with not being too afraid to go out there and get turned down? So you only get one chance to make a first impression. Wasn't that a deodorant commercial back in the 70s or something like that? I, I mean it. You only get one chance to make a first impression. And that's, that's all this says. It doesn't mean you have to be done. It doesn't say stay in your, your parents' basement and keep creating, keep creating, keep creating, keep creating, and then say, okay, I'm done. Now I'm going to go to the VCs or customers. Because what's going to happen then is maybe you've created something great, but you've wasted so much money that competition's passed you. Maybe it would have been a good idea to talk to some customers or a VC to get some feedback and, and adapt what you're doing. All I'm saying is be whatever that customer experience is, whether it's going to them and saying, here's what I'm going to build. Here is... Here's you know pieces you know here's screenshots of what I think I'm going to do. Just make sure that you're not haphazard and you're not loose about what the customer experience is. You know if you're selling technology, people are going to be you know early adopters are totally willing and able to deal with bugs. Have an open alpha, have an open beta. But again, the stuff that you can control, don't do the stupid stuff. You know whether it's purchase flow, you're selling something. Whether it's simple as you know, I'll, I'll rip on uh, two people who shall remain nameless but had to buy me a bottle of wine because they said, please try our software, please try our software, and it took me eight times to log into the damn site. Right? You get one chance. And if they hadn't been a Techstars team and so damn nice and bought me the wine, I probably would have said, fuck off. <laughs> so that's what I mean. Right, Nate and Natty? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Can you talk about building scale and what you've seen are like three pitfalls that people run into? I think the biggest pitfall these days is people being cheap. And it, it's weird. I know you don't have any money when you start a company. Actual conversation a few weeks ago with one of my teams, not to name names, Alex, is the question was, did they have scalable architecture? And the answer was yes. And so they were buying Amazon boxes in the back and whatever. And I was like, have you tested this? Like, if you get tech crunched again, can you handle the load? And the answer was, yeah, I think so. You think so? <laughs> you know? and, and, for, and what was interesting was when we broke it down, we found it was like an extra, what, 1000 bucks a month? Less. Less. It was 600 bucks a month. It was some uh, stupid number that nobody had ever really thought, what does this cost? And they didn't want to buy 10x the capacity they needed. And for 600 a month, I'm like, do it. Like, for 600 a month, go, go buy extra. I mean. We're living in a much different world than we were 10 years ago. And those of us who grew up back then have these preconceived notions of scale costs a lot of money. If it's architected correctly, what I've seen is stuff scales pretty well. And you, you know, if you're not doing rocket science and need a ton of computation, you can use the cloud to, to, to supply the scale. But you know, there's also the human scale. You know, as a founder of a company, you're the first one who's going to hit the wall. You're going to be doing everything. You're going to be a sales guy, tech guy, BD guy, CFO, all this. Oh, yeah, you're also going to be the secretary because people are going to want to schedule things with you. You're the, you're, you need to have a plan to scale. And what I've always told CEOs is you usually see CEOs, you know, productivity, 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 bam. Then there's flail, 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 which is where I, as an investor, have to decide, is this person still the right uh, CEO? The good ones then get their heads out of their asses and figure out how to scale, and then they do this, and then they fall again, and you'll see that, and that's a totally normal progression. I can all, you know, and so there's the, you know, the, I'm, you know, I'm not going to sit here and bore you and pretend I'm the, the smartest technology guy in the world because I'm not, but make sure it's not just a technology scale, but there's also a people scale. Can you talk about sales scale, you know, direct versus partners versus the, uh, you know, a SaaS solution or something like that? I'm probably, probably going to piss off some people here, but I think one of the mistakes a lot of startups make is hiring a sales guy too early. A lot of people start a company, get an idea, and then they say, okay, I have a product now, so what do I do with the product? Well, I need to sell it. Okay, what do I need to do to sell it? Well, I need to go hire a salesperson to sell it. What's wrong with that? They don't know their product. And by the way, if you, the founder, the person who believes more in this company than anybody in the whole world can't go out and passionately sell this product to somebody. There's something really wrong. And two, how the hell are you going to train a sales guy if you can't do it? The best salespeople in the whole world are the founders and the people who are in love with their idea, not the hired guns. There's nothing wrong with sales guys. But the biggest mistake, you know, going and hiring a sales guy too early really, really expensive, and I've seen a lot of companies get hurt. 
And whether it's SaaS or channels or whatnot, go, it doesn't matter. Go yourself with the product, carry a bag, get on an airplane as much as United Airlines sucks. South was a lot better. Go and get on a plane and see if you can sell. Once you figure out the magic, or at least some of the magic, then maybe think about hiring and bringing in a pro who can help scale an organization and understand the difference between business development and channels and all these other ways to do it. Um, keep going. I talked about always thinking about how you make money. I said even Twitter had a plan. You may not know that, but they did from day one. I'm not going to tell you about that because I'd be breaching their confidence, but trust me, they did. Try to be a, uh, try to be a scavenger, or is that right? Yes, some sort of leech or parasite. Leverage, uh, leverage other people's platforms if you can. I mean, Zynga, our gaming company, is a prime example of that. If you've played any casual games on Facebook, you know Zynga. They're just a parasite to Facebook, letting them run, and it, it's great. And I say that tongue-in-cheek. They've obviously done a lot of, a lot of uh, code and whatnot, but they're using somebody else's platform. Stop Twits, which is another one of our investments, is leveraging the Twitter platform. And then, as I say, be really stingy in hiring non-tech people like me. We like to talk a lot. We don't add much. We'll do some common mistakes, and then we'll uh, open this up for Q&A. Uh, I, I talked a little bit about this, not taking the setup process seriously enough, having employment and IP issues right out of the box. One of the things that a lot of companies do is they'll hire all contractors, no employees, because contractors don't get health benefits and all this other stuff. And then what happens, your contractors who are only working for you and are working full time get pissed off and go to the employment commission and say, these guys should be hiring employees when they're hiring contractors. Haven't seen it a lot in Colorado, because people seemingly are treated well around here. California, this happens all the time, all the time. And the California Labor Commission will slap a big fine on you and goodbye company. Um, obviously not picking the right team. My, my theory is that the first four to six hires will determine the fate of your company. You screw up one of those, you are probably really hurting. Uh, if you get those right, you are in great shape. Getting ahead of expenses, hiring ahead of revenue is kind of the corollary to hiring the sales guy too early. Keep the team lean and mean, expect pain. Right? This is good pain. The good pain is when you're totally stretched out, everybody's flying super busy, you've got 18 customers dragging you different places, everybody wants to meet with you, mentors want to engage, you have a fire hose of goodness, and you're getting plastered against the wall. This is good pain. Don't freak out. Um, I'll also tell you that cash is massively valuable. Some people, believe it or not, don't treat it this way. More of a California thing. I still see people ordering first, buying first class tickets from San Francisco to Vegas. It's not that far. I fly coach. I don't know why some of these people can't either. And being a crappy fundraiser will be, is a problem too. Um, there's a lot of ways to be a crappy fundraiser. If you want to, since we're a little short on time, come find me afterwards and I can tell you how, how to screw that all up. Um, couple things, knowing not when to quit is bad. I would say that failure isn't always failure. Um, failure can be really, really attractive. If you know when to call the dogs, you're going to do well by a lot of people, and they're probably going to give you another chance. If you're Captain Ahab, um, for those of you who didn't read Moby Dick, that's the guy who wanted the white whale dead and didn't have such a good outcome, things are going to be really, really tough. Uh, I said, screen up your one chance at good press. This is the classic over-promising and under-delivering, telling everybody you're going to have something out by X date and being two or three quarters late, then getting tech crunched, having your site fall down, and then still being two or three months late. That's not good. You probably have worn off your buzz. Uh, I will also say not having proper alignment with the management team, early issues, conflict. You know, a lot of times you'll find yourself strange bedfellows with somebody who you really don't want to start a business with, but they're kind of like, eh, I don't have anything better. I'm sure we've all had it in our dating lives. Yeah, I don't really want to break up with her. She's not the greatest thing ever, but I don't really have anything else, so what the hell? <laughs> not super satisfying. It will screw you also in business, and it'll get a lot uglier. Make sure you're getting away, you're having offsites, you're having good conversations. Make sure that equity from people that you hire is subject to vesting, which means that they don't get it all up front, they get a little bit over time, so if you gotta fire them, you're not in trouble. And by the way, if you think that marketing and advertising will save you, you are stupid, it will not. As the old saying goes, every marketing guy knows one thing about his budget. He knows that half his budget is wasted, he just doesn't know which half. <laughs> Summary, it's really easy, have fun. <laughs> What advice would you give startups about uh, you know setting up their stock plans and uh, how soon to file their A3B elections? I don't know, Matt. How soon should anybody know what an A3B election is? If you have stock, 
ask a lawyer to file an 83B election for you or go online and do it. Matt's making a somewhat tongue-in-cheek joke. You just contact Matt after the thing. He'll, he'll explain to you about all that you want. I want to be reminded of. Yes, you want it, it, Basically, it's a tax filing. If you don't file today when you start your company, later you can get taxed at ordinary income rates as opposed to long-term capital gains. But kind of a technical question, ask Matt or I after the shindig. Um, do you, I mean, in terms of companies that you want to run and, and own versus you're looking to be acquired, are there any different rules? No. I think you just build companies of value. I think that people who say, I'm going to build this company and go public or get acquired or run it and make a lot of money, it's stupid. I mean, first of all, nobody can, nobody can count on going public. So you, you know, every time I see a business plan that says, we're going to go public in three years, I want to puke. It just goes to show you how ignorant you really are. Because uh, if, if that could happen, we would all be in different monetary situations right now. Um, just build a company of value and see what happens. I mean, there's, there's, companies, there's companies in Boulder all the time that are built that have no intentions of ever being acquired. And they're spending out so much cash, everybody makes a great life, lifestyle income, and that's great. Jason, do you want to talk about uh, dealing with Sand Hole Road versus dealing with Post-Secondary Do I want to talk about dealing with Sand Hole Road versus? I don't deal with Sand Hole Road. That's why I live in Boulder. Um, shit. I don't know. If I wasn't being recorded. Um, well, then we'll do it later. If I wasn't being recorded, I would tell you that dealing with Sand Hill Road is kind of hit or miss. I mean, there's some really good venture capitalists out there, but most of them are uh, pretentious pricks. Um, and uh, it's a lot harder to deal with them than, you know, even the New York and Boston and, and local crew. And if you run across a Sand Hill Road VC and you need a background check and want to have some advice, email me and I'll tell you what I know about them and how best to compliment their Ferrari and their house in, in Atherton and that you can get through that. Can't wait till this hits the video. Yeah. <laughs> Just can't keep my goddamn mouth shut. Yeah. Um, a lot of, uh, I lack of better terms, new media sites that are started. Yeah. It's, it's really tough to kind of have a... Uh, Gender, or revenue generating source from that off the bat, you kind of just have to throw it out there and see if lightning strikes. Mm. And with kind have of you ever heard the phrase, uh, hope is not a strategy? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, continue, sorry, keep going. Is this a general question or a specific question? You want to give me a specific idea and maybe I can react to it or, or not? I mean, I guess just along the line of Twitter, Facebook. Well, let's, let's look at Twitter and Facebook. I mean, those are easy, right? What does Twitter have that would be massively valuable from day one if you could scale? Information, social graph, all that, right? Who's going to want that information? Google, Yahoo, Bing, name. Will they be willing to pay for it? Yeah, we just saw that Bing paid whatever, 20, 25 million bucks a year and Google did the same. Right? So that's pretty easy. The one that I have a harder time is I'm going to do an informational site for people who want to climb 14ers in Colorado. Awesome. I climb 14ers. I'm really happy you're out there. We never, you don't expect to get rich off of it. You know, your market's small. But you know, what if there's something you could sell me? What if you could sell me some sort of trail map? You know, you're, again, you're not like I can get rich, but maybe you can build that way. To, you know, the idea of selling affiliate stuff through REI and advertising, not interesting. There's just not enough traffic, and you're never going to be able to get scale unless you spend, you know, millions of dollars in marketing and advertising. And what you usually see in those businesses is traffic, 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 traffic. So is it kind of like the, like the, you know, like the field of dreams? If you build it, they will come? Right. You know, I don't believe that. guy building a baseball field in Kansas, and then... It's really, really rare. I mean, it's really, really tough. I mean, if you don't have some core value proposition why people are going to want to come, they want to come because you're providing a better search result. You're coming because, you know, and by the way, per, a search result means I know how that advertising model works. It's a really well-defined model. That makes sense. But, you know, how many, you know, Web 2.0 information sites about X and we're going to have advertising, things do I get? It just doesn't work. Come on, Jason, just tell them you're not going to fund a pet blog. A pet blog? A pet rock. Oh, pet rock? You're not going to fund I don't know. Zynga's uh, number one source of income is virtual goods. What's that? That's selling pet rocks, right? Maybe. I might sell pet rock. I might buy a, a pet rock.com if people are buying pet rocks. The margins are great. <laughs> right? Sounds good to me. I just heard a company 
how would I uh, approach my company differently if I were partnering with a VC uh, versus bootstrapping it? And what are some of the, the, the core differences to that? I think from day one, there's no difference between bootstrapping and, and, and going for venture capital. I mean, if, if you have something, for instance, you're going to make gears for wind turbines for clean tech, I don't know if anybody in this room can bootstrap it. I mean, you're going to, from day one, be going out and talking. But if it's something that you can bootstrap for a while, I don't think there's anything special you have to do to get ready for a venture capitalist, but for make sure you have at least one partner. Ma massive red flag if it's just you showing up at the door. You know, you and Kimberly decide to, to do it, boom. You know, maybe I'll, you know, may maybe I'll take a look. Um, this day and age, are you, are there particular industries that you're more hesitant to fund than others? No, not for us, but I mean, I'm only a software IT weenie, so I mean, to me, I've, I, at least through my life, I should, I think I can fund software and IT, it's not going away. I mean, you know, I, I would say that the day of the $10 million Series A round for a software company is probably dead. Things need to be more capital efficient, unless you're doing something really, really, really special. So capital efficient businesses are great. I mean, right now, I mean, 10 years ago, there was no chance your, your company didn't need less than 15 or $20 million as a standard software company to get to cash flow break even. These days, we've got companies in our portfolio that did it under three. So things have definitely changed. What about uh, some key points of a non-tech company that wants to introduce technology into their business model, uh, but they don't have that technology background and they want to start looking at people to write codes and uh, develop a model for that? What are some key aspects of that? I think I've seen that fail a lot. So the idea is i got a non-tech business, I want to move into the tech and I want to hire some tech people and go. I've seen a lot of failures and few successes. Um, because it's really hire, hard to hire a tech person if you're not a tech person. Like, I always find it funny, no offense to all y'all who aren't lawyers, when, when non-lawyers come up to me and say, I got a great lawyer. And my question is, how do you know? Uh, well, you know, he turns my phone. No, 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 seriously. How do you know he's doing anything correctly? It's like, how do you know? Like, I'm having surgery February 3rd, and everybody asks me, do you have a great surgeon? I'm like, fuck if I know. <laughs> Like, if you hear from me February 7th, that's an indication of one positive event. If I'm still limping like this, then probably no. And it's the same thing. I mean, hiring people that you, we don't, you know, you just don't know. Find, my biggest thing is find some technology mentor who you feel kind of completes you from a business standpoint. Understand your business and have them help you with that hiring process. Have them help you with that brainstorm process. You're the non-tech guy, you find some engineer here, you may think you have a medium of minds, but you don't. Same thing with lawyers, accountants, and, and hopefully not my doctor. Yeah? First of all, thanks very much for being so candid in conversation. <laughs> Clearly, it's the first time you've seen me speak. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really do appreciate it. Yeah. I'm bootstrapping a startup, and I feel very confident on the, my own personal profits, on, on what I'll make, and all of that, and that's great. And if I choose to go get venture capital to make something bigger out of that, I'm scared as hell about things like everything from buying furniture to unemployment wages to I mean everything, all of that. I know what I'm good at, and I'm yep. good at doing what my startup is, right? Yep. I don't know, do I go hire a consultant? What is the best no. thing? <laughs> I don't know how to get from from two, three people to twenty people. And if I want to do that and what I don't want to do that, I want to do what I'm good at. Right, and you should. Um, and that's, it's, it's a longer conversation. If you want to hit me up, I'll, when we get together outside of this, and I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, the broad brushstrokes are, that's the easy part. I mean, there's still difficulty in everything you do, but there's, you know, there's people you can hire part-time here in Boulder who are great bookkeepers who will just totally offload, uh, offload finance. There's organizations like Trinet that will supply all your HR, compliance, all your healthcare, your 401k, all that stuff, done. You know, go to bed and don't think about it. There are, you can outsource most of that, and you can hire people who do a great job to help you with the rest of it. It's pretty easy. Look, hit, hit, hit me up. I'll, I'll help you out. Yep, behind you. Oh, can you be a little louder? I'm, I used to be a drummer, so the ears aren't yeah, so good. This is regarding competition. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I had a question. Say, uh, if you find out that you have a competition, but and you don't really have an edge over them, what do you do? You quit? I don't know. If you find you've got a competitor and you aren't better than they are. That's not a good place to be. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's kind of, it's kind of like Phil Mickelson in the old Tiger Woods. I mean, you know, he did okay, but he's kind of the laughing stock of everybody. Uh, maybe now he's good. Um, I, I just can't go there. Uh, 
Well, it depends. I mean, you know, think about how big the market is. If it's a market that's, you know, a lot of times, if you think about the big companies, what's the biggest search engine? What's the biggest social network? Were they were they the first out? And would it be? It'd be pretty hard. I mean, I saw Google in its infancy, and it was hard for me at the time to say, "This is a lot better." I saw Facebook after MySpace. I was on MySpace because I was a musician. I'm like, okay. Now, what you see today and what you see tomorrow, you know, if you've got a better long-range plan, then maybe you're okay. Or is there room to have kind of a cheaper, sloppy second competitor, which could be you? Um, <laughs> no, we're not talking about my school name. It's, I mean, you might, if the market's that big, personally, I wouldn't want to be that. My, my, you know, if you haven't figured out, my ego wouldn't allow me not to think I was at least in the game. One more question. I don't know who your mark, your target audience is. Can you give me like, is it everybody in Boulder? Or is it a certain subset? I mean, uh, environmental organizations or uh, organizations committed to sustainability. Wow. Well, I mean, you've got some. I, you know, for Chicago, they probably don't know what the word sustainable means. <laughs> um, and certainly, Boulder to me is the most socially social media connected city I've ever been to, and that includes the Bay Area. You've got you've got natural resources here, like the environmental councils. You've got Greenmont Capital, which is doing sustainable investing. Which is which is pretty unique to this area. I don't know. I, I, it's kind of a lame answer, but I, I don't. It's a big, big question. If you want to hit me up afterwards, we can brainstorm. But I don't think I can shoehorn that one in the time we got. Do you want to? Last question. Oh, one more. Oh no, this is gonna be hard. No, I want one more question. Pitching you versus pitching a customer is there a difference? What stage is your company? You got a product or not? It's early stage. I mean, if you've got no product, probably not. I mean, it's probably the same discussion. It's like I'm, I'm going to build this, and I want to sell you that. What do you think? And here's why. I, and here's why I think I rock. And here's why I think you need me. Big Tom disagrees with you over here. Did you shrink since the last time I saw you? <laughs> <laughs> That's just because he's afraid to confront you at this point. Way left your surgery. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Go to my house and kick me. Um, it's, it's almost the same, but, but, um, my customer may not care how big my market is. But you care. That's true, but if you're beforehand, I mean, I, you know, it's funny, I'm different. I don't really get jacked out of shape about market size. I think I did 10 years ago when I had to put 10 million bucks to work for every, for the venture firm I work for. You know, if I can put 200,000 bucks into a company and there's a couple of million dollar exit, I'm still pretty damn happy. And you don't need to have a big market to do something like that. So don't disagree with you, but I, I have slotted market size way down in my filter since moving to Boulder three years ago and starting a new firm. It's all you. I'm done. Let's go to the next slide. Next slide. First of all, a round of applause.